Nothing is more deadening than to just have a bunch of outward rules to conform to. Nothing is more discouraging. Nothing leads to more hypocrisy. And nothing is perhaps more fleshly in its overall impact than trying to live the Christian life as if it's just keeping laws. No. It is obedience to Jesus Christ. It is joined to the resurrected one. And outwardly, it may look similar. In a corrupt culture like ours, our lives, we're not going to do a lot of things that everybody else is doing. We're not going to watch a lot of things everybody else is watching. But that's not the definition of the Christian. That's the fruit of the life joined to the resurrected Jesus Christ, the holy life that the Holy Spirit produces. Don't you go back, Christian, to thinking that the Christian life is just a bunch of rules to keep. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today, we continue in our study of the book of Romans. and Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Dead to the Law. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Don't you know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the flesh were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit, and not in oldness of the letter. Now, that's the doctrine. That's the teaching of chapter 7. And I want us to look at it carefully. And don't miss the connection between verse 14 of chapter 6. Look back. Remember when he said, Don't you know? You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You rose again with Christ in chapter 6. He said it over and over in the first 10, 12 verses. He said, know that, consider it, and then present yourself to him as those alive from the dead. Sin is no longer master over you. You died to sin. You're alive to God. Present yourself to him. Why? Because, verse 14, sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And then just skip the rest of the chapter, and really it is, in one sense, parenthetical. So you go right from verse 14, sin shall not be master over you, you're not under law, but under grace. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. And he goes right into his argument there that we're not under law, we're under grace. So we looked at it, and it's there for our profit, obviously, and it has tremendous truth for us, that last section of chapter 6. But for purposes of the argument, the flow of what he's saying, just bypass it for now. And he says, we're not under law, we're under grace. Don't you know? 
because I'm talking to you who know the law. He's speaking mainly to Jewish ears. Paul is writing. He's thinking of Jewish ears. But all the way through chapter 7, law speaks both of the Mosaic law that God gave to Israel and it speaks of the law principle that uh, we all wrestle with. And so uh, just just listen up is the way I look at it. And he says, I'm speaking to you who know the law, and most of us are fairly well acquainted with uh, what, what the law demanded and what the law said. And he says, listen, you're not under law, you're under grace. Now, don't you know, because I'm speaking to you who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Listen, he says, and he's going to say, and we just read it, you've died to the law. Just as Christ's death set you free from Adam's race, chapter 5, Christ's death set you free from sin as a master, chapter 6, because you died with Christ, so, chapter 7, you died with Christ, and that death set you free from the law. The law has jurisdiction over a person only as long as he's alive. You know, you and I are not going to worry about the speed limits after we're dead. (laughs) It's just over. The law has jurisdiction over you, only while you're living under it. But when you die, why? Death ends relationship. And then he gives a simple illustration, verse 2 and 3. The marriage. The marriage of a husband and a wife. He says, the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. But if, while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. It's a simple illustration. You have a husband and a wife, and they stand before God and man and say, for better, for worse, until we are parted by death, till death do us part. If the husband dies, the wife dies. That's what he's saying. The two have become one. They're no longer just a man and a woman. They're a husband and a wife. If the husband dies, the wife dies. Now, the woman goes on living. The woman, but not the wife. You see what I'm saying? And you see what he's saying? He says, then she is free. She's a woman to be free to be joined to another man. If she joins herself to another man while her husband is alive, it's adultery. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law concerning her husband. And she is now free to be joined to another. Now, that's his simple analogy, and I don't see how people can miss it. It's straightforward, and he wants us to see it applied to our lives and our relationship to the law. Parenthetically, though, come to something like this in a culture like ours, and it seems to me I'd be remiss to not say that that's what marriage is all about before God, the two become one for life, until death do us part, not until incompatibility sets in, no, not until death of our love, I just don't love her anymore, none of that stuff. Christian marriage, God-given marriage, the institution of marriage, the very first institution He gave us, by the way, before the fall, before sin ever entered the picture, He said, I want one woman for one man for life. The two 
become one. And we do well to reverently tremble at His Word on this issue, Christians. Uh, Our culture throws it out like it throws every other portion of God's Word out, but perhaps more than any other area, we're seeing the fruit of a rebellion against God and His holy standards in this particular area. So he uses this analogy, and I know somebody say, oh, chapter 7 isn't about marriage. No, but he tends to use true analogies. You ever notice that? When he brings an analogy, and he doesn't use a false one. And so he brings truth regarding marriage to bear on our relationship to the law. So just as a wife, when her husband dies, in that sense her wifehood died, and she is a free woman to be bound to yet another to join herself to another without any, without any cloud from God. He says, yes, that's good. Uh, so, the relationship of the Christian to the law. Now watch him ap- apply it, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. When Christ died, we died. We died not only to sin, we died to the law. And the law has no more jurisdiction over us, so to speak. We are free to be joined to not a new set of laws, but another, the risen Christ. We're identified with the resurrected one. Death no longer is master over him, and we're in Christ. We're identified with him. The law has no jurisdiction over him. He died. We died with him, and we died to the law. We're no longer under law. We're under grace. We died to the law. Turn over to Galatians. And uh, you know, I mentioned there's no other book like Romans. If there's one that's close, it's Galatians. Sometimes it's called a mini-Romans, and sometimes it's good to let Paul comment on Paul, you know, and let Galatians be the commentary on Romans, and sometimes he'll say a whole chapter in a verse, maybe sometimes three chapters in three verses, you know what I'm saying? In chapter 4, Galatians 4, when the fullness of time came, verse 4, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He, Christ, the Son, His Son, that God sent forth, born of a woman, in order that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There you've got Romans 6, 7, and 8, right there, in verses 4, 5. In fact, you've got Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. In one summary, God sent His Son to redeem us, to redeem us who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, that we can be joined to the risen Christ, be joint heirs with Him, and say, Abba, Father. And he's getting there in Romans. You know, that's Romans 8, I think it was verse 15, 16. That's where he's headed here in Romans. But Galatians just summarizes it in one succinct statement. Now look back at Romans, and he says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another. 
to him who was raised from the dead. Do you see yourself that way, Christian? In the resurrected Christ, joined to another. You're not married to the law. It's not your uh, responsibility to be living under the law. You're joined to the risen Christ, the one who conquered sin and death and is seated at the right hand of God. In order that, what's the purpose of all this? Look at the end of verse 4. That we might bear fruit for God. To bear fruit for God. What is fruit? You know, it's if you read your Bible, if you listen to the Bible taught, uh, you see this term regularly. But it's oftentimes we don't know what we're talking about when we think of it. And I would say he's got it on his mind. In fact, look back at chapter 6. I mentioned last time, verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? And remember the word benefit is the word fruit. What fruit were you deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, fruit, that is sanctification, sanctification. I believe that's what he has in his mind first and foremost when he says that we might bear fruit, that we might bear what? Holiness to God. Sanctification, verse 22. That's what he just mentioned is the fruit of this new relationship, this new identification, is that our lives are to be holy, set apart to God. That's fruit. And he saves us in order that we might bear fruit, Christ-like living. In an individual, it will look like the life of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the life of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit controls my life, He is the Spirit of Christ. God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts that we might cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit of Christ produces the life of Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Look over at Galatians again and watch another real succinct statement of this because it's so easy to become... Uh, confused on this, and Christians often do. Sometimes people will say, well, you mean we're set free from the law? So we're set free to be lawless. May it never be. No. We are set free from the law that we might bear fruit to God. A holy life will flow not from keeping the law, but from seeing yourself as joined to the resurrected Christ and living in the power of His Spirit. And so Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 19, Through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. We don't live to an external standard of rules and regulations. We live to God. And I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up. For me, I've been released from the law in order to live to God, he says. And the life I now live is not my life, it's the life of Christ. One of the best statements of it in all the Bible, right there, verse 19 and 20 of Galatians chapter 2. Now, 
That's fruit. He says that we might bear fruit to God. You know, the gospel is constantly bearing this fruit, Paul wrote in Colossians 1, verse 6. When he prayed for the Colossians, verse 10, he says that you'd increase in your knowledge of God that you might bear fruit, that you might bear fruit. That's why I say when Jesus Christ comes into the life, it isn't just to save us from the penalty of sin. It's not just to deliver us from hellfire. It's to deliver us from the very power of sin. It's to set us apart to Him, holy vessels, useful to Him, sanctified, set apart, prepared for His work. And that's what a Christian is. It's one who's been not only justified, but set apart to God. We are joined to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I say fruitless Christian lives are an oxymoron. They, I'm always suspect of that kind of faith that says, well, I believe, but there's no evidence, there's no fruit. The Bible gives me no reason to think that kind of a person is really joined to the Savior. How about you bring forth some fruit, John the Baptist said, in keeping with your so-called repentance. And Jesus opened his ministry with the same thing, calling for fruit. He said, you know, you'll know them by their fruit. So verse 7, or, or excuse me, verse 4 of chapter 7, uh, we've been joined to another, to the one who was raised. Now we're joined to the resurrected one in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we're in the flesh, verse 5, he glances back again. He says, while we're in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now he looks back at our non-Christian life before Christ. And he says, we used to just bear fruit for death. And Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? He said, you'll know them by their fruits. A good tree brings forth good fruit, and a bad tree brings forth bad fruit. You can know where they're really rooted, where their relationship is, what kind of a tree it really is by the fruit it bears. So he looks back and he says, we used to just bear fruit for death. But now, but now, verse 6, we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we're bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Death ends relationship. And notice the huge contrast there in verse 6 between the oldness of the letter, the deadness of the letter, and the newness of the Spirit. I'm reminded of uh, that verse in Hebrews 9 where he says, I think it's verse 14, where he says, the blood of Christ cleansed us from dead works to serve the living God. And I love that statement. You see, the non-Christian, the unregenerate world, they look at us and they just see kind of religious people. And they, it looks just like other religious people to them. And the Christian life, being a holy, set-apart vessel to God, can look kind of like just outward religion to the unregenerate, to just the casual observer. One person is devoted to dead works, goes to church a lot, does this, does that, because they're thinking they can earn favor with God. It's called dead works. And another person, though, to your unsaved neighbor or relative, you know, oh, they go to church a lot, they sing a lot, they do religious things, they get baptized, they do things more than I'd ever do. They're really fanatics, you know. But it just looked like the same thing outwardly. But there's a world of difference. We've been set free from those dead works to serve the living God, he says, Hebrews 9, 14. And notice here, verse 6, we serve in newness of the Spirit. There's life. 
instead of the oldness of the letter. There's a huge difference. There's an eternal difference regarding justification. If you're doing things legally to earn favor with God, you're lost for eternity. When you come to Christ, you realize, I could never do those things. I could never please God. Christ did it all. And you believe in Him. And we're going to rejoice around the table today. The burial, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's justification. And there's an eternal difference. But look at verse 6. He's not talking about justification, really. He's talking about our relationship, now our identification. And there is a world of difference, Christian, between trying to gut the Christian life out, just keeping rules. It's called legalism. And the newness of the Spirit. Now, it may not look too different outwardly. And that's why a lot of Christians get fooled and think that a holy life is just a matter of keeping 16 rules. They'll set up their church or their school or their institution with just a bunch of rules. And nothing is more deadening than to just have a bunch of outward rules to conform to. Nothing is more discouraging. Nothing leads to more hypocrisy. And nothing is perhaps more fleshly in its overall impact than trying to live the Christian life as if it's just keeping laws. No. It is obedience to Jesus Christ. It is joined to the resurrected one. And outwardly, it may look similar. Somebody looks at some legalist life and they say they don't do this, they do that, and they look at a holy Christian life, and obviously in a sinful world, in a corrupt culture like ours, our lives, we're not going to do a lot of things that everybody else is doing. We're not going to watch a lot of things everybody else is watching. But that's not the definition of the Christian. That's the fruit of the life joined to the resurrected Jesus Christ, the holy life that the Holy Spirit produces. Don't you know? because I'm talking to you who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person only as long as he lives. You died to the law. Don't you go back, Christian, to thinking that the Christian life is just a bunch of rules to keep. It's deadening to do that. Whether you do it in the negative sense or the positive sense, 16 things you shouldn't do, and here's how many minutes you should spend in your Bible, and here's how many minutes in prayer, and here's how many... And reducing the Christian life to little formulas like that is a legal principle. Now, don't misunderstand me. Healthy Christians give it their best to avoid anything that appears even like evil and to give themselves to that which causes them to know Christ. But the difference is, it's, it's, it's amazing the difference to see yourself as joined to Christ, getting to know Him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I want to abide in His Word because He said, I'll know the truth. I'll know Him that way. And the truth will set me free. That's the dynamic of joyous, Spirit-filled Christian living. And I just reread it. We've been released from the law, having died to that by which we're bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Dead to the Law, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
we're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. What can the law do? It convicts of sin. In a word, what can't the law do? Deliver from sin. Is the law sinful? May it never be, Paul answers in his, now we've learned, characteristic way. Is God's holy and righteous good law sin? May it never be. Perish the thought. Don't even say that, he says. And he reaffirms it several times. And you look at verse 12 for the clearest statement. The law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem isn't with God's holy standards. No. The law is not sin. The law informs me of sin. Look at verse 7. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Law's Function. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.